Welcome into another winless edition of the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer. Brunts looks a little amused by that opening. BC looks kind of bored. How is it? Uh, how's it going for you? That's guys? just my default expression. I, I, I was. You lo- actually look kind of tired. Well, it was a busy am, week. I am tired. Yeah. I uh, I was actually smiling because of your sexy, sultry voice. <laughs> that I'm sure people are looking at their devices and headphones right now, wondering what's going on. Yeah, I, uh, nursing a bit of a sore throat and cold here <laughs> as we we enter the the middle of the season. Normally, this doesn't come till. The, the Thanksgiving week, which is like clockwork. Yep. You, know, you riding in a car with me while I'm filling it up with germs. Yep. Just one big. You wiping sp- everything down with sanitation, uh, disinfectant stuff. Spraying everything. <laughs> Do you ever kind of like it when your voice is like it is now? Where you're kind of like, I, I could get used to this. Yeah. This no, could be the new me. Because sometimes when you go yeah. to talk, yeah, it'll, just, baby. it'll crack yeah. a little bit. And. That's always embarrassing. So you're talking all sexy, Ooh. and then and then it turns <laughs> into a twelve year old boy. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about football. Game. Football. Row the boat. Mohammed. PJ Fleck. Ibrahim. <laughs> averaging five point eight. Well, Nebraska plays Minnesota <laughs> this weekend, and they uh, they still don't have a win as they were not able to collect one. Why you got to keep bringing that up? Well, it's sort of the storyline of the season, Brian. <laughs> I, I mean, is there something else that you would put above that at this point? Uh, no, no, you're probably right. <laughs> so, and uh, the way they, they don't have a win is, is somewhat remarkable. As Brunt's posted on the message board earlier on a Wednesday, Nebraska's record based on its S&P ranking should be 3-3, three and three, right? It's a, a fluky 0-6. They've apparently done hard work to go 0-6. That's... That's pretty accurate, though. I mean, the the way they've managed to lose games, the way that they have out yard yardaged, not even really a word, but the way they've outgained opponents offensively, you would think would lead to more points, more wins, and it hasn't. And uh, Saturday was a classic example of that. And you two gentlemen were were there live and on the scene at Ryan Field, your favorite away venue in all of college athletics, I think. We uh we spent most of the trip looking around at each other, going, "How, how does Schaefer not like this place?" We did. Seriously, said that, we said that many times. Yeah, actually. Wow. I'm blown away. It's... I mean, I I could just get in my car and drive to it just a few blocks away at Seacrest Field. So, oh no, not Ryan Field, just Evanston overall. Oh, and yeah. I I actually like Ryan Field. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand either of these things from either of you. Yeah, but it was nice. It was real nice. Well, I'm glad that it was a good time for yeah. you. Yeah. But what did you see on Saturday, and why the hell didn't Nebraska win that damn game? Well, when we walked down to the field with, what, four minutes left? We had all our stuff filed, to, ready to roll, and I had it all positive. It was painted positive, you know, the five fast takes and all that stuff. So there's this weird feeling of you saw a lot of progress from this football team for most of the game. I mean, the defensive performance for three quarters was very good compared to what we've seen relative to the product that's been in place. You know, they they gave up, what, seven points in the first three quarters? If you take away the fumble recovery Northwestern had. And I I thought um, guys were in the right place. There weren't a lot of busts. I thought the offensive line has gotten better since week 
two or three since the Michigan game. Um, and yet there was that feeling, and I think it happened uh, on the play where Aaron Williams got beat for the 32 yards or whatever it was. That was when it was like they're going to lose. And that's that's the thing you can't get over with Husker football now is like there's not a reason you should think that right then. Northwestern still had 35 yards to go, and yet you totally believed, okay, this, this game is has a, a conclusion we all know. And uh, that's what they're that's what they're fighting. It's like this weird thing that's in the air that you gotta fight through that nobody can quite explain. It's mental stuff and it's laying on the couch kind of stuff and all that. And it's it's hard for people to explain it over there. Yeah, yeah, losing is a smelly cologne. I mean, that's pretty much what it comes down to. I mean, even you've got you pin them deep, ninety nine yards, no timeouts, and it's almost like the the worst case scenario almost becomes the expected now. Like you, you get the fifteen yard penalty to get them out of out of the shadow of their own end zone, which was an incredibly dumb penalty and a very obvious one. Too. Right, and it's you know from there you're like, all right, the bottom's gonna fall out of this. Like that that's how it's worked recently. And do do you guys think that there's you know something to teams needing to learn how to win? Because it just seemed like. For the last five minutes of that game, Nebraska was very much trying to not lose that game, and I I thought it showed. I mean, you know, coaching wise, how they coached it, how they played. Uh, uh, they seemed tentative on defense. Um, Luke Gifford talked about this a little bit. He didn't think that they were tentative when he watched the film on it, but he wondered. Didn't wonder. He said he just felt like the fundamentals that they had clearly used early in that game, and they didn't change a lot i mean they were in their base package which they had a lot of success with for most of that game and either northwestern made really good adjustments they didn't or nebraska failed in its execution of that base package and the fundamentals they did that's a large part of why they didn't stop them in the the final four to six minutes of that game i thought they were tired too i mean it's yeah and that could be it seemed like I mean, you you had a lot of guys playing a lot of snaps in that game. You lose C.J. Smith, you lose Antonio Reed, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the blitzes that look a little crisp earlier in the game or at least, you know, harass the quarterback a little bit aren't even getting close to it. Guys are – I mean, the, the fourth and ten conversions that they had, they weren't even like – they weren't like spectacular plays. I mean, it, it was basically Thorson was throwing, to guy, throwing guys open with, with relative ease. Mm-hmm. So and if you stop one of them, you win by 10 or 17. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's total coach speak when Scott Frost says the one play thing, but it's kind of true. I mean, in that situation. Well, I mean, they needed everything to go right, and everything went right. right. Nebraska needed everything to go wrong, and everything went wrong. One fourth and 10 stop, and I bet Nebraska wins 38-21. They, they probably run it in the end zone, you know, on the next series to finish it off, and that's the game. How did you feel about the possession after the onside kick? Because this has been a lightning rod. I was fine. And I was completely fine with I, it. I had no issue with it. No. Yeah. I, I they, made, everything they wanted to happen worked, right? They ran the ball three times. All timeouts got used. They punted it into the one freaking yard line. Like I, I don't see how that was anything but a success. I know how this, it's like, oh, you're going to defend them, you cover them, and all this. Well, the Colorado game, I'll agree with people, if you go back to that one, that they're snapping the ball way too early at times, and there was some clock mismanagement there. I thought it – let's go through a few of the things you did. 
on the fourth down play earlier in the game, on the fourth and inches when they're like mm. early fourth quarter, I was surprised he didn't go for that. Yeah, I would have went for that. Yeah. Now I would have went for it too. It didn't end up mattering. It's kind of a needless conversation because they got the pick after it and it worked out for them. And then after the onside kick, you know, maybe it's this NFL philosophy because I watch a lot of NFL where I, to me, b- making a team burn all its timeouts is like the most valuable thing in the world when you're trying to salt away a game. And if you can do that like Nebraska did and then have him on the one, and you didn't know Isaac Armstrong was going to pin him on the one. That was but you a, had hoped he'd put him inside yeah, the 20. That was an added bonus. But still, you're, you position yourself perfectly to finish the deal. And if they had thrown the pass, the same people complaining um, – that they should have thrown would have said, "Oh, you stopped the clock." It, that's just the that's the type of person that complains about that thing. And I'm sorry if you're one of them out there, but I think that's probably the type of person you are. Yeah. The the one quibble I guess I would have had with that series was if you're gonna run that kind of handoff play to Spielman, maybe you run it on like first down or yeah. second down. I agree with that. Um, but I mean it's. It's tough. I mean, what do you do on third down? You roll Martinez out with the option to, to throw or run. I mean, it's then all of a sudden we've you're seen that. We, we've seen that movie before <laughs> in a late loss. I mean, it's, it's it's tough because I, I think it's, and Frost said this after the game. And I think he's right. I mean, if if you pick something up there, you look great. If you don't, you look like you're conservative and and you you know don't know what you're doing and you're playing not to lose. It's it's a tough place to be, but. Um, I mean, I, I didn't have a huge problem with it, especially when, you know, you, you have to make the team go 99 yards. And I assume we all agree that you have no issue with going for it on fourth and one in overtime. Oh, I didn't because I felt like they had to score a touchdown. Um, the defense, like we just discussed, looked like they were done dealing. I know they got to stop, but it's when Northwestern just setting up for a field right. goal at that point. Um, so you can't say, oh, they would have stopped them necessarily. Uh, maybe they would have, but I, I felt like when you get the ball in overtime first, if you don't score a touchdown, you're feeling really, really uncomfortable out there, um, and you're in a tough spot. So, And Ozigbo had been – I know there's stats on fourth down, but Ozigbo had been dynamite, probably as good as he's been in his Husker career, and he was going to get the call there, and you had to have a lot of confidence they were probably going to pick it up on that one. Brunts? Brunts I, disagrees? No, I totally agree. Oh, I was just thinking. Oh, I was just thinking. I was of hoping the you did disagree. I was just thinking of the, the snap and that play and just how it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, watching it here at my house with some other people, and no one knew how to react to that snap. Like everyone was pretty convinced Nebraska was going to lose when it went into overtime, but then the false start on third and one, which somehow gets overlooked in all of this a lot of times. And then the the snap was just, in a lot of ways, very, very picturesque of how this season has basically gone for Nebraska. The false start that you mentioned was definitely the biggest play because at that point it was third and one. Right. Nebraska, You're hitting two shots at one Nebraska's yard. first two plays had really been a success like for – you know, when you're in that end of a field, this this wasn't like last year's Northwestern overtime where it was a complete train wreck on offense. They got some good plays out there. And I think if you get a first down there, 
maybe on your sideline there's a little bit of like, okay, you know, something good happened, finish off this drive. And then, then who knows? Your defense has a second life. And, um, and also, after the false start, they ran a good play to Spielman. And from I was standing behind the end zone, and I really thought I would take Spielman in that situation all the time. I thought he might shake the guy and just take it in or at least get 10 yards. And a guy made a great tackle on him a yard yeah. short of the sticks. It's, uh, I mean, I watching that finish, re-watching that finish, still just somewhat amazed that they left that game without a win. Well, it's, it's mystifying, and then also there is reason with the, the S&P, how you say they should be 3-3. Three and three. Um, It shows you the sky's not falling. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of football plays that are successful within a game. Nebraska's probably winning more plays than they're losing in a lot of these games. And I think that's why they're so upbeat over there. And the advantage they've got going right now is this is a young team. So there's a lot of guys who aren't going to check out because they understand, okay, I'm going to be around this thing for the next two or three years, and uh, this is a marathon. And so, you you know, that I think that's why they're still practicing well, even though they're own sick. I had a, a, a Vine Street <clears throat> thought coming over here. That that three and three thing is interesting because, you know, if if you just looked at this this season and if you compared it to 2015, because, yep, 2015 there was, you lose on a hail mary in the in the opener, you have the just absolute head shaking loss on the road to Illinois with the way that that happened. Um, I mean the the reaction. And just kind of just the general kind of shell shocked nature of the team in at, after the Northwestern loss reminded me a lot of the way things were after that Illinois game, mm-hmm. where the player it just happened so quickly that players are kind of looking around at each other like what the hell just happened like didn't even have time to digest it. But but it's you know people say oh this year's a lot worse they're zero and six but you know I, I feel like you know the 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 fact that they have played well at times and the, the way that they've lost games though i mean it, it's it feels like 2015 but at the same time it feels like there's a little bit more that you can build off of going forward than maybe what you could have um in, in 2015 apparently lou doesn't like that take lou not a fan of uh of 2015 wants to move on yeah so that's fair <laughs> Why are you bringing up old stuff? Yeah, well, Lou asked. That's that's all we've got, Lou. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely get where you're going with that. That 2015 year had a lot of those kind of close losses. I think, and and I talked with Caleb Tanner about this a little bit. I talked with some of the incoming recruits about this. Like, how do you stay positive when what you expected was a coach that was going to come in and change some of this culture, and it hasn't work to that degree and Caleb Tanner said that a lot of the freshmen you know have talked about it a lot and that they're just trying to find ways that they can do more that even if it's just you know doing extra reps after practice or working out more whatever they can do that when they get the opportunity to play whether it's this year or even next that they're just going to not be in this position and so I you know I think that's a good attitude to have I think it's a positive one to have I've said to just about anybody who ever asks, the thing that, that strikes me about this team is that when we're over there on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 
it's it's very positive over there. And I've been covering this team where they've had nine wins, and it's not nearly as positive. And the, the people aren't nearly as positive, or the outlook isn't nearly as positive. And that means nothing to the average fan who just wants his team to win on Saturday so his day doesn't suck. And I sympathize with that. But it it's not as bad as it looks. And I think at least around here, a lot of people recognize that. Nationally, people are going to think whatever. But I think that's where maybe it plays to Nebraska's advantage going forward. They're going to catch some people by surprise because they are better than what they look like. And if they continue to improve, I really think they're going to win a game against Michigan State or Iowa because they're going to be in those games. Like I, I just don't think they're going to get blown out again this year. I really don't. And I could be entirely wrong on that, but I, I doubt it at this point. You think they – Without injury. If they have serious injury or their depth continues to take a hit, then maybe you get in a situation where Iowa or Michigan State can, you know, run that away. Ohio State is going to be That was my rough. question. Was, do you yeah, think, and I, okay. I was basically throwing that game okay. out. But ignoring that one, I, I feel like they're going to be competitive – in all of the rest of these contests. And, again, that doesn't get you a seat at a bowl game. It doesn't do much for you. But if you're thinking long-term what you want is improvement and you're seeing it, I think that's good. Yeah. I mean, what what to you guys would qualify, we're halfway through this, uh, as a successful run to the finish line? How many wins? Is it even about that? I don't think it's about the wins as much, but I, I mean, you know, if you're a fan, you'd love to see them get to four. Yeah, four wins means they take care of business against these two weeks. The the, the teams they should take care of business against. You beat Minnesota, an Illinois, Illinois, and then you beat a Michigan State Cooklin. or an Iowa. And then you go beat a team that you know. To me, those games are closer to toss ups than they are definitive. Iowa, I think, is actually the hardest game that they play aside from Ohio State. I do too, and I me- I think I mentioned this to Bruns on our trip. I think, I think that game will be big in its own way because that's going to become the bowl, the bowl game. game yeah. And that will be the game, like if Nebraska goes to Iowa and ends that skid they have against them and gets bragging rights, and even if it's win three, people are going to be like, okay, it's, it's even the worst Nebraska team beat Iowa, and now they're going forward. And so it uses that corollary of getting that bull win to propel yourself into the next year? Well, That it, Iowa win means it'll, it's it'll just be, be okay. Su- it'll just be such a positive feeling if they beat Iowa that, like, it would – some people would forgive, like, two other losses for that win because it's the last thing – it's the last note, you know? It's yeah. the last note. It's right? funny to me, too. I think if Nebraska beats Iowa um, – that Iowa team is going to be like ten times better than the '85 Bears, I think. For yeah, if they win, that Iowa team might be better than the last couple of Nebraska's that, lost to. They're they're actually pretty is, good, yeah. Which is kind of the thing. I I mean I I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think they're the best team in the Big Ten West. Big Nate Stanley guy. No, <laughs> <laughs> there's like nothing about that team that's all that impressive. But when you watch them play, I mean, they just take care of their business. And I watched Wisconsin, and I'm amazed that Wisconsin beat them. I mean, I really think Iowa gave that game away, and it, it could cost them a chance to to lose in the Big Ten championship. <laughs> Look at that dig after yeah. a nice compliment. Yeah, to I, parents. It's it's the old compliment sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you can't be overly positive about it. What other takeaways do you guys have from that game? How about on the offensive side of the ball? Here's something that I've been asked by a few people. 
does Nebraska need to do more to get Stanley Morgan involved? It's funny you ask that. I'm going to write about it because you might read something on the site about that. Very All right, well, don't answer. <laughs> well, it's, it's. I mean, I'm not going to put opinion in the story. I'll just be quotes from people. But it's good. People don't want opinion in their hard news. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to mix those. Um, I think so, and Scott Frost thinks so. I mean, that's the short of it. That he only had two catches on Saturday. It's noticeable, and, isn't it? You know, I don't know all the factors involved. Sometimes it's a quarterback feels a certain sense of comfort with another guy that he looks to first, and it doesn't even mean the a guy like Morgan's playing poorly or anything. But Martinez has obviously felt a kinship with uh, Spielman, and you see that chemistry, which is good since they're going to be together for a little while. Uh, but Stanley's that guy, like in a game like Saturday, where I think if you can get him some short passes where he goes to work on some of those DBs, this is a Minnesota pass defense that struggled. And let, him, hurt. let him get those yards after contact and kind of wear on those guys and beat them up a little bit. And then I, I think it maybe opens up a big play. But uh, from everything we've heard, Stanley, um, even though his he's not having a great stats here, uh, is is really being one of the – the key cogs on this team and probably deserves some of the credit for why they're practicing the way they're practicing right now. Yeah. I mean, they've got to get him involved. I was a little surprised that they didn't go more to him in the, on either of those possessions. I mean, at, at the end of the game, I mean, I know they were trying to, to run out the clock, but it seemed like that's where, you know, you, you basically throw it to stand, throw it, give him a chance to make a play. I think is, is you know, maybe what you do there, but, um, you know, the, we saw more of Mike Williams in, in that game. We saw the whole uh, drive to score the touchdown before the end of the first half. I mean, he had what three catches on that alone? Yeah, and I mean, we've seen a little bit of Jerron Woodyard, a little bit of, of Warner. Um, so I mean, it, it seems like that group is just turning a at least a little depth is showing up. I mean, I think they can have a big second half of the season, but I, I think you have to create ways somehow. Uh, to get Stanley the ball in space because I, I think he's pretty, pretty good when you can do that. I've been surprised that they haven't done as many kind of shallow crosses with him, stuff like that, yeah. to to get him the ball in space this year. You know, I was hard on that offensive line early in the year, and I mean, it was easy to be after what you saw at Michigan. But uh, I I think they've played the last couple of weeks. It's been much improved um, from that group of guys and. Really encouraging is the tackles. Um, I think Hymas in particular has really stepped up his game. Farniak's getting better, a little bit better each week. Uh, so, I mean, that's good. There, there's some optimism there to me because those guys are getting a little bit better. Bo Wilson's been solid. He had the bad false start, but he's he's fitting in. And then, you know, the whole Cameron Jurgens thing, that even though he's hurt right now, the idea that he's going there and that adds something. There's a little bit of a boost in the step of the O-line right now as you think about the big picture. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that too. You're seeing it reflected in the run game a little bit. Even they didn't run that much against Wisconsin. They still had a pretty decent mm-hmm. average. And their pass pro was run. pretty good in that yeah. game. And so I, I think they have improved. And some of it. Honestly, and this is what happens when you get away from it, the way that Troy plays and the way that Michigan plays made Nebraska look worse than they probably actually were. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, anybody who watched what Michigan did to Wisconsin's offensive line, 
that's just how good their defensive front can be when it takes over games. And so I, I think that that's something that, again, you know, we get caught in week to week talking about these things. And uh, the offensive line is it better than what they showed against both of those teams. It's just unfortunate how bad they were yeah. in those times because it really hurt. Here's something that I don't think is much of a hot take. But biggest play of the game for me on Saturday was – Adrian Martinez not putting the ball towards the uh, field goal post for Jerron Woodyard. Because if that pass is completed, they win that game in a route. If that pass is incompleted, I think they still score on that possession. I think that that really is just one of those small plays that probably doesn't get brought up enough. But it's just the difference between being 0-6 and and 1-5 and or – those kinds of things. I mean, they have a few of those plays throughout this year where it's like Stanley Morgan makes a catch against Colorado, different-looking game. J.D. Spillman makes a catch against Colorado, maybe a different result. And it just it feels like sometimes we focus, you know, the defense collapsed. But, man, if he just makes a little bit better pass to Jerron Woodyard, I think you're looking at a different result for sure. Yeah, the defense in the first half, we can focus on the last five minutes, but the defense played really well. Yeah. And the offense let them down yeah. for about a quarter there. Uh, they forced several three and outs, didn't yeah. they? After the first drive, which was a great drive, and you get ahead, and then it's just a lull. And that's happened too many times to an offense that, when it's going, looks like it can do no wrong sometimes. And you're right about the Woodyard. I didn't the, – the throw wasn't good. The de- I didn't like the decision at all, honestly. There were two – Northwestern guys, and you're you're trying to. He had him beat though. I felt like if he let him, like it's just it was one of those. Tough, things. It was a tough throw. You're trying to fit it into a Woodyard who has made like one play in his career, right. and I, I just didn't look at you just throwing him under the bus. Well, no, he's been here for six he, games. How many plays he's supposed to make? Well, I'm just I'm just saying that's a that's Frank a guy. Frank out on Jerron Wood. All right, <laughs> <laughs> I. I get the attacking nature there, but that was when Ozigbo was just, like, killing Northwestern. And the ball's on the, what, 28, 29-yard line. I felt like at that point how tired they were. Nebraska could have went old school and run it down their throat and and probably produced a pretty good result. But Martinez and uh, Mario Radusco said that uh, Martinez didn't see the, the backside safety. That was the... The issue on that play is mm-hmm. uh, Reduce said there's actually a different read to make there, but Martinez didn't see the safety, so that's why. I mean, a better throw, I think, probably still. Yeah, you put that ball further into the back of the end zone, it's a touchdown. Right. I'm assuming he catches it, which Brian doesn't think he would, but if he did, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I like Jerron Woodyard. I just, I just think you know, at that point in the game when you're trying to get your first win. Right. And you're trying to pull away from somebody. And I get what Woodyard's that guy. They're waiting for that play from him and Mike yep. Williams. And so that's what they're trying to do. So I understand the thinking of it. Like, it's not, be, you know, you're trying to, hey, we can sneak it. And maybe that's part of the thing. This guy hasn't made a play yet. He's not really on film. And he's a guy who can burn past him. You're going to get an easy six here. And I'm, I'm sure that's a thinking. And it, if it works, like, it looks like great call, you know. So... I'm kind of being an armchair guy. <laughs> That's okay. That's what, you know, we we want that on this podcast. Yeah. Not in your stories, 
But in uh, the podcast, you can... Clear line. Clear yeah. line in the stories. Anything else that you guys want to bring up from that game, special teams-wise, a little bit of a mixed bag? Isaac Armstrong, clearly stranglehold on Nebraska's punting job, though, right? I think everyone mm-hmm. kind of agrees there. I thought they, aside from Pickering's problems, the special teams were okay. Like, I didn't feel like they – am I missing something? I don't or? think they cost them the game, which was yeah. no. improvement over – previous five <laughs> they were probably a little better than northwestern aside from the pickering like they probably had more positive plays actually well it was kind of one-to-one in the lousy kicks department because you had like pickering banging one off the uprights and then northwestern had like that the, was a, the, oh, the hooded that, the hooded six iron that, that uh, kick had no chance of going and so what actually surprised me is as bad as that kick was and then the next few times he went to kick i mean the guy was money right like I, I didn't know what happened. Like it just a total miss hit or <laughs> that what? was the funniest one of the funniest kicks I've ever seen in person because it was so bad and yet it traveled a really long ways. Like I'm not kidding you, that that kick if he had hit it somehow the right direction, he would have made it from like 65 yards because it was like, you know, shot out of a cannon. I was I was thinking so we had that kick to go off of, and. Then in my head, I'm thinking, well, in overtime, there's no way in hell this guy makes this kick. And then my next thought was, well, it's Nebraska in 2018, so of course he's going to make this right. kick. Yeah, I had the same thought, too. Yeah. I, I actually thought Northwestern needed to get a first down to feel real comfortable about kicking it. And that guy just banged that thing through like it was nothing. And it might just be because I watched the Vikings too much. But, you know, in those sorts of situations, the kick isn't supposed to look that easy. Yeah. I had a, you know what I'm talking about. I had a passing thought that he was go, going to miss the one to tie it, like just pull, uh, the, pull the extra point, and that would be how Nebraska wins the first game. The other funny part about that last touchdown to tie it is if a Nebraska guy had made a tackle like a foot shy of the goal line, the clock would have run out on him probably. They would have had a hard time getting set. Well, doesn't the clock stop because of a first down? I think it was first and I goal. Think it was first and was goal. it first and goal? Yeah, and they were I thought, out of it was first, I thought they were outside the 10. No, I was on the five. It was just a little little pattern, and yet he got over by about two feet. Could have ended a the, – it would have been like the Rams-Titans Super Bowl. Which I think is still first, the best Super Bowl finish. For the first Frost win. Well. That's all I have to say about is that. Is that, that it? We're done? <laughs> we're done with uh, – I think we covered it. Okay, well, what do you guys think about Minnesota. Love, love the lakes. Love the fishing. Love the walleye. There's a, there's gonna be a lot of love hate relationship with the professional football team. Yeah. There's gonna be a lot of charisma on the sidelines on Saturday. It's gonna be like a wrestling, like a wrestling match. PJ Flex said Nebraska could be five and one or four and two if things broke, you know, a couple different ways. So the the Gophers won't be underestimating the winless Huskers. We were talking about this before we got on the the we turned the mics on. Who will wear the tighter shirt on Saturday, Scott Frost or P.J. Fleck? It's got to be Fleck, if only because Frost might be wearing the Snuggie hoodie. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's harder for him you know, to, to pull that off rather than his usual polo look. You think, you think if it's like 60 degrees on Saturday, Fleck's out there in just like a form-fitting like suit? No. I, like, well, I mean, that's, that's kind of what he wears. The like, so. workout shirt thing. It could be. Yeah. Just, just out there, like, 
working on his sprints up and down just the sidelines. Just going side back lines. and forth on the sidelines, <laughs> rowing that damn boat. It could be. What do you guys know about this team? You didn't get the opportunity to watch against Ohio State, but I will say this much. I was impressed by how they ran the ball, and Nebraska's going to have to figure out how to stop the run regardless of which of the running backs. I don't think Smith or Brooks are going to be back. Smith, maybe, right? Like there was talk that he might might be able to give it a go. I, th- I thought he is not back is, is what okay. the, the latest. Yeah, so, then, so neither of those guys who are really good backs in the Big Ten are available, and yet their third-string guy carved up Ohio State's defense, and their offensive line was getting some push against the interior of Ohio State, which is allegedly never supposed to happen. And they looked, I mean, they looked pretty solid when I was watching that game. So what you're saying is that Nebraska should be more concerned with Minnesota instead of Ohio State. No, well, okay. yes, because they play Minnesota this weekend. Okay. But I do think that the Gophers have the ability to move the ball on them uh, through the run game, which, you know, I mean, one of the reasons everyone felt good about that Northwestern game is that it felt like Nebraska could take the run game out, and they did. I mean, Northwestern couldn't run the ball. Couldn't even pretend to run the ball. So then – now you got a Minnesota team that can move it on the ground. They're not that good through the air. I'm curious how Nebraska sets out to, to stop this because they're pretty weak in the middle of their defense right now. They are. And I, I think that that's where you started to see a few breakdowns late in that game um, against Northwestern was that the uh, inside linebackers and Mo Berry and Dedrick Young playing a lot of snaps. And I, I thought Dedrick Young actually played a pretty darn good game, um, all things considered. His backside had the best pass breakup of his career. Yes. The uh, the, the problem I had with the inside linebackers in the yeah, the problem I had with the inside linebackers in the Northwestern game is that they started all of their blitzes from Soldier Field, so they were never going to get home. I I don't understand in concept why these guys are blitzing seven or eight yards from the line of scrimmage. Because they have no chance. They Not once on Saturday did it look like they were going to get home when they started some of these long blitzes. And what that does when you're thin, I mean, those guys had to be gassed more than just about anybody else on that team. And they were blitzing a ton. Here's your rankings for Minnesota's offense. 91st in rushing offense. 101st in passing offense. Yeah. 109th in total offense. 92nd in scoring offense. This is a, it's a get-well opportunity. Nobody's saying that they're tremendous offensively, but I'm just saying they're going to be able to move the ball through the running game. Nebraska has to find a way to stop that because I think Nebraska's pass defense can do fine. But if everything is third and short, how are they going to get off the field? Do you think the players are going to be pissed off for this game? I mean, Minnesota kind of ran it up on them last, last year a little bit. I mean, Nebraska was not really putting up much of a fight, but I guess I question how much they can really think about the Minnesota game when they've lost every game since. But you take whatever edge you can probably get at this point. Bill yeah, does does Frost use yeah. that as an no. edge? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just a big pop against the window. Uh, That's official. That officially wasn't him, by the way. It wasn't. That's what Bill said. It wasn't him. That was not him. <laughs> that sounded 
I'll take it that. sounded moose-like. I'll take that to my grave that that was a moose call. <laughs> we were we were the closest of anybody in the thing to him, and I think might have been the first to put it out there, yeah. even on Twitter, that old moose said, oh, no. There weren't very many people in that suite, one of whom was D. Riley, and that was not D. Riley making that noise. Yeah. Do you think it was a lookalike that we saw at the Tanners in Wisconsin? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got it. We're, we're Did sitting he tell at, you about this? We're, no. we're sitting at the Tanners before the the game in Wisconsin, and Schaefer looked, that guy looks like Bill Moose over there. I was like, well, yeah, it is Bill Moose. I didn't and think Bill Moose would be like, sitting at a Tanners. Oh, it was Bill Moose? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> He's like 10 <laughs> feet away from us. Like I, I mean, it, it looked a lot like him. I'd only ever seen him in suits. And what was he wearing? Uh, like, a, like a sweater jean grand combo? gray sweat. It was like a track <laughs> outfit. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was just kind of in pregame gear, you know, enjoying some football. And I just wait. This is on Saturday of the the Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Sorry, I I thought you meant it was like on Friday night at like twelve thirty. No. I was no. like, what's Bill Moose doing not in a tracksuit at that hour? Well, why would <laughs> Bill Moose have been in Dubuque at that hour too? That's true. You guys weren't in Madison. Uh, so I I was just could not believe that that was Bill Moose. So I think it might just be an imposter. That would have been our chance, maybe, in that setting to get to the bottom of the oh no comment at Minnesota. Like, come clean, Bill. Oh, we failed everyone. We, we know this was you. You just got to get him to say oh no to something else and then just compare your memory to. <laughs> we can certainly try. All right. So, Brian, do you think that Nebraska's defense is going to play pissed off because of last year's result? Not last year's result necessarily, but I think if you believe what Scott thinks as of Thursday, uh, that his team's just annoyed and mad at everything that's gone on this year and all the ways they've figured out to lose. And I do kind of have this feeling, and obviously Bethune-Cookman, if if Nebraska's still winless then, maybe Nebraska runs it up on them. But I've always thought Nebraska's first win could come in like a 17 to 21 point win like it should have on saturday yeah that's exactly right they played the type of game where it should have been that result probably and it wouldn't shock me um if that were this game saturday if nebraska won by that score i'm not going to predict it but it also wouldn't i don't think people should be surprised if that happens i i mean i i mean the big thing to me is the other side of the ball and Minnesota's run defense was has been pretty good. They basically made Iowa throw the ball, and Iowa did throw the ball on them for a lot. And Ohio they did State, the same to Ohio State too. So that's going to be their mo, I think. They're going to say, "Let's see this freshman quarterback win it with his arm and not make mistakes." And Nebraska's been in that situation before this year, so that's not abnormal. And uh, Adrian's Adrian's just going to have to play a good game. Well, I'm trying to was it. It was Wisconsin, I guess, where Nebraska really opened yep. it up. They went heavy on the pass because it was a bad secondary. And I, I think that you might see the similar game plan to what you saw in Madison. So you, you do think they're going to be a little, a little red-assed? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't. I was just kind of making a joke, but I, I think gotcha. that you just wanted to get to the moose thing. Yeah, I was just. I think they'll be pissed off, but not for anything that happened last year. I would I would argue that last year that Minnesota game was the worst loss that 
occurred, and there were many. For me, it was the Northwestern one last year. They gave that game away. But then they did it this year, too, so it might just be how Northwestern wins games. That's sort of how it feels every time Nebraska loses to them. It's an underrated way to win. It's an over-occurring way to lose Yes. at this point. You know what's not underrated, though? What? That practice facility they got over there. Wow. It's pretty nice. Is it? Yeah. Were you watching the ESPN coverage because they showed every nook and cranny of it? I did not. It was a. You know how everyone talked about how the the Chick Fil A Bowl, the Peach Bowl was going to be a uh, commercial for Nebraska for recruiting. The Nebraska Northwestern game was a commercial for Northwestern, in like every facet imaginable. Huh. Like it was. Uh, it was almost annoying in a way. Like, oh, cool. Here's a montage of everyone who's ever went to the Medill School of. Uh, journalism oh they all happen to work for espn oh they're now waving at the camera off screen and then it just kept going on and on and then every time it was a rejoin was some different shot of the practice facility it doesn't take you longer than a minute for a northwestern grad to tell you they're a northwestern grad yep that's that's a lesson i've learned in this life plus the socks <laughs> um, the thing the, the one thing we did learn was that mike adamley of American Gladiators fame, Northwestern grad. Did not know that until you this You were weekend. all over that. Well, I mean, if you see the name Mike Adamley, I mean, what do you think I of? didn't remember that. Okay. But I was impressed that you saw his picture and immediately yeah. American Gladiators yeah. points it out to his first play. His first color guy in American Gladiators was former Oakland Raider Todd Christensen, and then it went to Larry Zonka. Were you an American Gladiators guy? I watched a little bit of it, not nearly as much as Brunts, who was getting into yeah, a pretty detailed a conversation about every all the... Saturday morning. It yeah, it was like a. Uh-huh. I mean, I I think I mostly watched it on repeat, and then on ESPN Classic, I watched it all the time. But like Blaze and Saber were those the names? Yep, those are names. Nitro, Steel, maybe. Yeah. Lace, Verbs, Zap, Zap. Yeah, their uh, their meeting room is actually. Uh, bigger than the one nebraska's got really yeah quite something is that to get everybody's ego into it <laughs> i don't know but it it was darren uh, Ravel wasn't there <laughs> <laughs> he has his own space he gets the actual facility he's a table pounder darren Ravel. i'm shocked yeah shocked by this news. a couple of years ago i gave him the evil eye because he's getting a little noisy in the press box what game uh, the year Nebraska beat him with Riley really? out there. Why was he there? It's grad. Well, no, I yeah, he was part of the montage. Don't know I'm if you aware. heard. I'm just, familiar. Just in town and kind of getting into it when the <laughs> Wildcats had some things going. All right, enough about Northwestern <laughs> and Minnesota. Let's talk recruiting. What? They didn't get anybody to commit. Since last week? Since uh, mid-September. Okay. But they have four visitors coming in this weekend. One, Jamie Nance already committed to the program, wide receiver out of Oklahoma, having a nice year. Doesn't get to play most of the second half and sometimes in the second quarter because his high school team is dominating, so his stats don't look that good. But he's having a really nice year. And then uh, joining him will be three guys not committed to the program, the best of which I think is Noah Polagates, a defensive back from Scottsdale in Arizona or Phoenix, the greater Phoenix area. And he is a, a four-star, top 247 defensive back. Alabama's his top school, but probably can't commit there because they might be full up on defensive backs. 
Penn State he really liked. He's been excited about this Nebraska visit because he has a good relationship with the coaches. He's intrigued by Nebraska. They get an opportunity to put a good foot forward with him. Wide receiver Darian Chase out of Washington, another four-star guy. He is uh, six foot one, 185 pounds, outside wide receiver. Nebraska hasn't hosted that many wide receivers. They need to take at least three, and they've got one committed. So Darian Chase, someone that they're certainly going to be working on. He, of course, has uh, the requisite offers that you need out of the Pacific Northwest with Washington and Oregon and Boise State. Those are top tools for him. I think Utah is also in the mix as well. And then the other visitor, and the one that Nebraska probably has their best shot with because they've been working on him for a long time, Tavian Mayo from rural Georgia, defensive back, not ranked by 24-7 sports, but a three-star on 24-7 sports composite. He has Nebraska, Georgia Tech, Duke, and Iowa State as his top four teams right now. I think that he is a, uh, a peer corner in the, the scheme of which Nebraska would use him. And he was supposed to be part of the Georgia contingent that came up for the Purdue game, but he took the ACT that weekend instead. So he will be out for the Minnesota game. So they, they're going to have you know, a pretty good group of official visitors. And uh, you know they, they'll have hosted 20 guys by the end of this. This will be their fifth home game. if uh, No, fourth home game, right? Because they, they didn't play... Yep. The, the fifth will be next week against Bethune-Cookman. So that's a pretty good amount through uh, through four home games at this point. They just need to start turning some of these maybes into yeses. We've seen some junior college offers we this week as well. Um, I'm assuming that's going to continue a little bit here, especially at the corner spot, also maybe linebacker as well. Yeah, I think, and I was told this in late September, that the – the interest of defensive back leans more towards finding guys that are junior college safeties than junior college corners because Nebraska still returns Lamar Jackson and DiCaprio Boodle next year. They still have Cam Taylor. Braxton Clark would have another year of development. So, And C.J. Smith actually has spent more time at corner recently, and that's something that they're going to consider into next year too, uh, assuming he comes back healthy after he got hurt in that Northwestern game. But I – I think if it's the right guy at corner, they'll they'll take a junior college guy, but they really want a junior college safety. I think that's where you're going to see more of their defensive back offers in that regard. I think they need a junior college pass rusher, and so you'll see some outside linebacker defensive end types uh, pop up here over the next month or so. I'm curious if they have a cap, because I don't know how many guys you want to take from the junior college ranks, because I do think it gets to a diminishing point of returns, because you can't assume all of them are going to be able to help you and at some point, maybe having the extra years in development with Zach Duvall, with the staff, is better for you than trying to find the quick fix of a guy who maybe can do something, maybe is Joe Carter. So, I mean, it's a uh, junior college is always tough. You got to balance that too. I mean, next next year's schedule. I mean, you kind of, I I would think Nebraska would feel like they've kind of got to really take a run at it next year. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you would take an extra Juco guy than you normally would. And I think with that, you're going to see Nebraska very, very, very heavily in the mix for graduate transfers. Because they're not going to fill their class. They could take over 30. They're not going to. They're not probably going to get close to that. But I think they're going to be right at that 26, 27 range. And then try to fill as many guys with graduate transfers as possible. Because part of it is they want to keep these scholarships available for 2020. 
but they also want guys that can help them out. And so I just think that in January, you're going to see Nebraska bringing guys in for visits that are graduate transfer dudes, which we haven't seen that in recent years. Other dudes. Than, well, Tanner Lee wasn't even a graduate transfer. But I, I just think that that's, that's their strategy at this point. So they're probably only looking to fill eight or nine more guys by December. If, I mean, if they can get that many, they might be short of that. Eight or nine total probably in the class. When you're talking about JUCOs, I was thinking about the last batch. I mean, that's really one of the storylines connecting it to what we've seen is a lot of the hope was built on that that crop of guys like really helping right away. And obviously Greg Bell's gone and Mike Williams and Jerron Woodyard are growing, but they haven't yet been that those guys that maybe you, you hoped right off the bat. Will Honus gets hurt. Will Jackson leaves after he transfers. There's one other one I'm missing. But Deontay Williams. Deontay Williams has probably been the most productive. Yeah, he's in his role's been limited at times, but it feels like he's coming on. But yeah, that that's one of the big and also a lesson as we talk about JUCO recruiting that I think whenever a JUCO guy commits, there's always this like the imagination runs that oh this guy can right away step in here and do this and that and it's it's not a it's not always even a coin flip bet on that. I mean, you gotta you gotta remember that. Yeah, no, I I completely agree, and that's why I also think that you gotta be limited in how many you really try to take. Right. I just I don't think they Nebraska has had such good luck with guys like Levante David and Randy Gregory, and before that Zach Bowman and some other guys. De, uh, what Demorio Williams wasn't? Yeah. Was he a junior college? And that's that's why it is the way it is around here. Why we think right. that way. But more often than not, and I mean, I don't even have to give you the names a lot of these guys you know maybe contribute and and then there's guys like byerson cockrell who nobody brings up but was a pretty good contributor for a couple years he, he was a solid and he guy. was more valuable than what people probably remember you would take a byerson cockrell right now in a second yeah. especially he'd be 26 years old he'd have a physical advantage or something <laughs> exactly play at byu <laughs> uh, we don't want to get into that on this podcast at least one member of the table has struggled with uh you know Angering the uh, the Cougar fan base a little bit. Yeah, and not the good kind. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, other recruiting things, and, and I'm going to have a story that will be up sometime probably this weekend, we think. Uh, I've talked with some of the guys of Nebraska's class about their thoughts on what they're seeing happen, what it seems like. You know, if you're a guy like Ramir Johnson and you're living in Brooklyn and Nebraska's 0-6 – and you got all these other schools still poking around. And you have your friends and family are starting to wonder, you know, is this still the place you want to go? Why is Ramir Johnson telling me that he's completely sold on Nebraska? What is he seeing? And so that's kind of what this story is going to get into. And it, it takes a couple different looks. This is a pretty close-knit class. I've enjoyed talking with some of these guys. Um, they've, they've let me behind the curtain a little bit as to what's going on with, with their group. And I think that, you know, these guys are going to be part of the backbone of when Nebraska gets this thing going forward. It's going to be on the backs of some of these people in this 2019 class uh, are going to be a key part of that, as well as some of the guys from 2018 that we haven't even seen contribute or haven't remotely or remotely come close to seeing the best of. So, uh, you know, just to, to paint you a small picture of hope mm-hmm. in this uh, lost in <clears throat> sea season. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it. So Nebraska 
I mean, let's say they take 26, 27 guys. They sign another big walk-on class. And you're looking at, what, 100 new guys almost coming into the program? Yeah. Really young team. In, in two years. Like, in, in the past two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. And that, I mean, is part of why it's not everything is as fluid, it's as smooth as what you would want. Because you got new people in new places and new faces and all of that stuff. We want to get into any other sports. You got some basketball or baseball talk you want to get to, or are we are we ignoring those this week? I think we maybe ignore those. Nice. Well, you guys was... got any good state mottos? Got any... No. This this Nebraska. State... We're here. Deal with it. Yep. How's that? I like I like the idea though. Okay, what was the uh, what was the slogan that everyone's talking about? Just to, so people... Nebraska, it's not for everyone? Honestly, it's not for everyone. Something like that, yeah. I like the idea of someone pitching that, though. That's my favorite thing, like visualizing it. Okay, we're going to go a little different direction here. You just got to follow me, guys. We're going to say it kind of sucks. I mean, we're just going to put that out there. but uh, and, and people are like, eh, okay. And they, they pass off on it. It must have been like Don Draper presenting that thing. I- I think it sounds good <laughs> in, in like abstract, and then you put it down on like paper, or you just read it in text, and it looks terrible. <laughs> well, they're obviously building to something, correct? Right. I well, mean, this is a 20-some million dollar campaign, so this state gets fired up. I mean, the slogan should be how it gets fired up about slogans and license plates that look like... Uh, <laughs> penises i mean that's, that's nebraska <laughs> phallic symbols abound yeah. how's that and undefeated and online polls about the greatest no, college football not team anymore ever. garrett snodgrass went down did he really he uh, lost wow well, i was gonna limit it He's to great losing call. everything this year yeah. that's another l nebraska's taken garrett snodgrass a nebraska commit from york was part of the uh the bracket that they do every year for the under armor all-American game, and uh, occasionally a Nebraska player ends up in it. Bo Wilson won it the year that he played in the Under Armour All-American Bowl. Garrett Snodgrass was taking on a guy from Wisconsin, a defensive lineman. He had a lead going into the the final day, <laughs> and in the last hour it flipped, and he ended up losing 51% to 48%. You're not making oh, that no. up? Not making it he up? He lost in the last hour? Not in the last hour. <laughs> But going into the last, last five day. minutes, yeah. <laughs> Did so. he have a chance to run out the clock? I mean, there was a there was last minute efforts. I even tweeted it with Should 15 minutes to go. Should have been more aggressive. I well, look, I don't know if we can put the fault at Garrett Snodgrass here. I would say it's on the people of Nebraska not coming through for him. Wow. One of their native sons has to stay home now. That's a tough L. Well, I was going to limit it to undefeated and greatest college football team ever online polls they still got that right they i mean they haven't done that show again since kirk yeah. Street won't do <laughs> it Street nebraska fans broke broke kirk Street. he still hasn't recovered from it you're telling me if i walk six first round picks up to the line of scrimmage his voice cracking he's getting all angry lee corso just not even mildly amused full-on hysterics about how angry Herb Street is over this. Here's the thing. The older I get, the more I think he's probably right. I think 2001 Miami would have beaten 95 Nebraska. Oh, oh man. <laughs> just throwing that on the podcast. Oh, Mike Schaefer said yeah. that. Mike J. At Schaefer. Mike J. Schaefer on Twitter. Losing everything else, I might as well lose that one too. I don't, I don't agree with you on that. 
It'd have been, it'd have been a good game. You know? Well, we're an hour into this thing. Should we just go ahead and end it on that? <laughs> oh, I'll I'll throw a quick. Oh, one Miami almost lost to Boston College that year. And Virginia Tech. Yeah. So I, I will say this: Nebraska's <laughs> defense probably would have been hell on Ken Dorsey. Mm-hmm. And I think I would take a quicker shot at the oh one number that Nebraska team like. I just don't think they were equipped for that. No. Like, that type of uh, – anyway, that we're going off into a completely different realm. I'm just saying, <laughs> six years of difference in college like Someone had to defend point. 95 teams' honor on this show. Otherwise, no one's going to listen anymore. That, that's like a – The real question is – like a is, May hot take. Would 95 Nebraska beat 2018 Alabama? Yeah. Well, they're a good team. They're, it's hard to know that because they only play, like – Samford. Yeah. <laughs> They're 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 freaking loaded. Well, though. their starters only play about a quarter. They're yeah, basically they're... the equivalent of being Jamie Nance at this point. Yeah. Well, All right. well, now that I've made everybody sad and depressed, be sure to tune in on Friday for the Hypecast, <laughs> where we're going to bring a bunch of hype and a bunch more talk about Nebraska and Minnesota and potentially how tight PJ Flex outfit will be. So we'll catch you next week on the Nebraska Twenty Four Seven podcast. <laughs>